Hi guys, before we get into the episode, I really want to mention the sponsor for this one, which is Sidetracked Magazine. Sidetracked is dedicated to adventurous storytelling at its very best. They use stunning imagery and personal stories from expeditions and journeys from around the globe, and you can really, really tell. If you are one of the few who haven't heard of them, what are you doing? Go and check them out there in the links to the show notes um, on the podcast, on the website. You can check out their website. You can browse and purchase from the back catalogue and subscribe. And you can browse and sign up to their free weekly newsletter, which provides some of the best adventure updates weekly. I signed up to it too, and it's fantastic. So go check it out. But with no further ado, no further hesitation, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris. And today we welcome Tim back to the show because he had his interview released 9th of September. And I really recommend you go back and listen to it because what a fascinating guy. Today we are speaking about a scientific expedition to the Karakoram called the Karakoram Anomaly, investigating a glacier and whether or not it was receding, if it was damming up. Super fascinating stuff, a really great episode. Tim's entertaining with his knowledge, his facts and his anecdotes. I really hope you enjoy it and if you do, subscribe, follow and share it with a friend. But otherwise, let's just get straight into the episode. Hello, Tim. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for having me back. Perfect. I mean, it's my pleasure. For, for those who haven't heard already, um, then this, yeah, because this is because <laughs> we're recording before your interview has come out. But I just checked this episode definitely comes out after your interview. So for those listening now, uh, um, Tim's interview came out in September, September 9th. So if you didn't hear that, go back because Tim is a ridiculously interesting guy with a lot of experience and it was it was we had good fun as well i think so um so yeah go back but today we're we are talking about a reason we that isn't a stranger to the the podcast um uh, it's the pakistani karakoram and graham zimmerman a previous guest chat through the karakoram and uh his you know based a lot around climbing and his childhood dream to go there which is so awesome that he's managed to go but this time we're talking uh, a little bit more nerdy, a, l- a little bit more science-based, which is uh, which is going to be super fun, I think. Um, did you want to did you want to give a bit more introduction to to what it is? Uh, yes, absolutely. So it was a Karakoram anomaly project that I was involved with in, in 2015, um, and as you mentioned, a, an expedition to the Karakoram, following on from um, the 2014 trip to the Himalaya. Um, but much more of a scientific basis to this one, or scientific and storytelling as well, and mm. adventure as it turns out. Yeah, uh, yeah so we, we were about two and a half months in the Karakoram, um, like living and working on the glacier out there in the on northeast Pakistan. Which is not a bad way to spend two and a half months. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it really, it really was like an absolute, yeah, an incredible trip and an incredible experience. And um, yeah, like very different from the Himalaya, actually. But, but uh, yeah, equally rewarding. Yeah, for sure. And, and as far as the Karakoram goes, for those who of us who don't know, what kind of region is it? What what landscapes are we going to be seeing while we're there? Um, so it's Gilgit uh, Baltistan, so right up in the northeast of, of Pakistan. It's about fifty kilometers from the Chinese border there. Um, mm. Like very different from the Himalaya. Actually, the Himalaya is kind of subtropical jungle and rhododendron forests and waterfalls lower down, leading up to high altitude plateaus and then onto the mountains um, and the Karakoram is very much more stark desert 
like very hot, very rocky, everything falling apart and trying to kill you all the time, basically. <laughs> a lot of landslides, actually. Um, yeah. So, so the project itself was was uh, research on, on a glacier out there or a few glaciers in the region. Um, and it was about whether they were growing or receding um, and also surging to form a glacial lake outburst flood potential risk. Um, and there's about 80,000 people in that in the, in the valley there um, and potentially going to, you know, and they have, it has done in the past, like wash the, the, the villages away and obviously, obviously kill quite a lot of people as well. So just to just to really get into the definition there for, for people like me, when I first started hearing about this, what is a glacial lake outburst flood? Um, so where the glacier, it, it surges forward, basically, and then it will block against the moraine wall. Um, and then you'll get a big lake forming behind it. Um, and eventually that lake, and a huge, huge lakes, um, eventually that lake will burst. And then it's got the potential to, to wash down downstream following the valley. And then it just wipes out everything in its path. So it essentially just dams it up and then the dam breaks, exactly in that. essence. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's like, actually, uh, we went to, there to investigate these and see whether these glaciers were moving. Um, and the Karakor anomaly actually comes from, they thought the glaciers there were potentially growing. Um, so we were also like measuring that, like the volume of the glaciers. Um, and like from the satellite data, it looked like they could potentially be growing, but we didn't know whether they were losing volume um, or actually just surging forward. So it looked like they were getting longer, um, but actually losing volume. Um, so there's kind of all that, that research involved. Yeah, which is one of the many interesting things I find about this, which is that it wasn't just kind of, here's a glacier we don't know much about, so go out and do your thing. It, there was there was a, an issue that had to be researched because uh, from from reading on uh, UK Climbing, was it? Um, the article that your your acquaintance did out there. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he spoke about the fact that there had been quite a few floods in the area that had devastated some homes. Yeah. Um, and they were they were worrying that this could be a problem rather rather than just sort of saying like hey let's go here and do some do some work so yeah yeah no a huge problem in the area and it's it's cost quite a lot of lives in the past um and also destroyed the farmland down there so like the, the kind of source of food is gone as well um but yeah we actually got like so we went out to investigate these yeah, glacier like outburst floods um and literally we, we landed in islamabad um, like within two days of being there, there was a huge one that, that occurred on, and it blocked the road north, and yeah, caused a load of problems actually because we weren't we were supposed to fly north actually to avoid the Karakoram Highway because it was 2015, so it's a little bit of a um, the foreign office a foreign officer advised going along the Karakoram Highway basically, um, mm. and then the Nangapar back shootings in 2013, so it's a little bit of a, like a risky area, um, yeah. but yeah, we actually. Um, because of the, the huge glacial outburst flood that happened up north, we had to we had to drive up, um, avoiding most of the Karakoram Highway. Had to drive in the end. So. Yeah, and actually, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Um, that there's a video on YouTube as well, which kind of goes over the highlights of the trip too. And there's actually some video footage that I remember seeing where you're trying to cross what should have been a stream, I think, and it was kind of more like a surging river and you probably at that point were very thankful for for having four by fours yeah absolutely yeah i mean I, I, literally on the on the journey north so we've been in the zamban four days the journey north up into northeast pakistan took about 24 hours and then it was another few days to get to the last point and like a small village called shimsha um and in yeah. in those four days i think we had four like um landslides it just the road kind of disappeared in front of us and um, yeah, I narrowly missed one actually, like along along the main road there. Really? 
road literally just kind of disappeared, a huge landslide above us. Um, the cars in front of us, uh, yeah, only, only just missed getting washed off the road into, into the river below. This, uh, it's a weird sentence to say, but I've worked with ground before. <laughs> um, and I know that uh, with trenches, for instance, it can be just completely silent uh, when, when it collapses. I've, never, I've not seen a landslide before. It is, is it a similar deadly stealth about it or can you kind of hear and feel the rumble coming through? No, mainly when they're wet, that they are pretty silent. So, like the whole side of the landscape would just disappear. Um, and yeah, and, and take the and this was a a, 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 a tarmac road as well that we were on. It cut into the side of the cliff, but like a proper substantial, you know, tarmac road. Um, and yeah, the, the landslide just washed the entire thing away. Jeez. But it was, it was incredibly impressive actually because we were there, and within four hours they had the road back open again. So they, a load of bulldozers came along, and like there was nothing there, and they managed. They're used like, to it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like cut a road back into the mountain. Like yeah, within like four or five hours of us being there, they cut a road back into the mountain. And traffic was moving again. And not that we're um, not that this is a podcast on road safety and technology, <laughs> but I suppose there's there's le- perhaps. I don't know how much of this is stereotype or educated guess, uh, but uh, perhaps there's less health and safety to attend to uh, when you're fixing that. And I only compare that to the fact I was um, in Scotland just uh, last week for two weeks, and we went to a, a viewpoint called Rest and Be Thankful at Loch, Loch Lomond National Park, and there was a huge diversion, uh, a convoyed escorted diversion at low speed. Um, because as you can see up the mountainside, there'd been a huge mount, um, huge landslide and, and that wasn't four hours of clearing and then open again. That was a proper, proper job. So yeah. 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 Anyway. The resourcefulness of the people there is, it really is, is, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like you say, that would not happen in the UK. That road would be closed for like months, if not years. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, game within, within about five hours. So. For sure. So just. Winding it back a little bit, just how the exhibition actually came about. So we, we've got the issue there. I mean, really for you specifically, how did it come about that you you got to go on this trip how, and how was it formed? Uh, so it's photography for me. So we had a team of four people from, from the UK um, and two were scientists and we had two uh, media people. Um, yeah, and I was basically telling the story of the science um, and uh, Sergei, who, who, who started the trip, and um, he came up with the plan um, as a young National Geographic explorer. I'd just come back from Makalu about five months before, um, and then had an exhibition at the Royal Geographical Society. And then from that, um, yeah, we, we basically, actually, it, like, it came around through LinkedIn, the Mountaineering Club on LinkedIn, and he kind of put an advert out there saying he was looking for photographers and, you know, storytellers to come come to the Karakoram and um, like highlight what was going on there with you know glacial movements and glacial outburst floods um, and then yeah like showed him the portfolio from from Makalu. Um yeah met, met in a pub in London and then five months later yeah back out to the Carrick Forum. And bear in mind that I've seen the photos from Makalu. <laughs> I'm not surprised he was he was wowed <laughs> so yeah that, that, there's your compliment for the day you, you get one and the ones I said earlier uh, so um so perfect. So you're on the trip, getting prepped for something like this. Is there anything different you're doing uh, at all? Uh, it was this your first scientific outing? And um, so we've done some work on on, on Makalu with, with scientific research, but it was the sub aim really. Like we were gathering snow samples, um, there's some 3D modelling from photography there as well. So those bits were kind of similar. 
um, but the cow corn was it was really a scientific project. And then the second aim was to, uh, like a mountaineering phase afterwards, which was to climb Yuxingardan Sar, um, a seven and a half thousand meter peak there. But but the priority for this one was the science and the storytelling and interacting with the community, like to try and provide what data, right, raw data as well, but also like potential solutions to to, to the to the problems of the, the GLOFs there. Perfect. So as far as getting prepped for you, then it's it's your normal mountain mountaineering kit plus more lenses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a lot of kit for this one. So yeah, so we were doing um like satellite, yeah, like um like basically taking points on the on the glacier to see where they were moving. So there's a lot of um, Trimble sponsored the expedition, and so we had quite a lot of kit from them, and photography kit, and filmmaking kit, and mountaineering kit, um, and then obviously like the food supplies as well to last us two and a half months on, on the glacier out there. Um, yeah. And another, actually, quite a cool element for like photographically for this one um, was the we did some repeat photography. So we were trying to there were, there were some photographs in the the archives of the Royal Geographical Society, and they were taken about a hundred years before by the, the the European like the first Europeans that had been to the area, basically, and like Francis Young husband, uh, like incredible beautiful photographs made on you know, huge plate cameras. Um, so we were going to try and find, or we did find those spots um, to see basically compare the glaciers to now uh, and then and do some repeat photography on those um, and that was actually a really cool element of the trip for me as a photographer it was yeah because we didn't really think we'd find those spots and um, we thought the whole thing would is you know like the cliffs would have disappeared the glaciers and the moraines would have changed so much um, but pretty much on every spot we we, we were in the like taking photographs where someone stood 100 years before and, and made images so that was quite a cool part of the trip for, for me as a photographer and for lay people as well, that's that is the most in, interesting part. You know, when when you're watching a documentary on TV, that's always the cool part where they do like a transition. Uh, you know, like a, a street, for instance, transition taking the same place and just like sort of goes across or it's split in half. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So we're we're prepped. You're on the expedition. You wowed them with your photography, and we've got this issue as well. So and you mentioned getting there as well. That's kind of ticked off the list in that you you were gonna fly and then you got flooded. <laughs> so, <laughs> congrats. Um, yes, you, you're there. You're set up. You're good to go. So, what was the actual science? Talk us through kind of chronologically what was done to to assess the problem and get the results. Yeah, well, so getting there was yeah absolutely epic. Really, like one of the hardest trips, like to actually get to the place, like really, really remote. Um, the last epic kind of road trip. <laughs> exactly that with all the kit and then the different aims for it um so the last um village we got to is a uh, shimshal um and that's only opened up by road and i think 2003 they managed to build a road into the side of the cliff which again it washed away twice before we'd actually even got there it's only like a day's drive from pasu into shimshal um and, and the road washed away twice there so it took a long time to get along that road and it's just you know hundreds and hundreds of feet down into this raging torrent below so it's quite a intimidating drive there but and incredible they've managed to build like a, a road across there yeah um, and then yeah i managed to get to shimshal which was the last settlement there again absolutely incredible place there it's a settlement of about two thousand people in a tiny little village in uh, like northeast pakistan but just in like there's solar power there like 50 percent of the young people have, have been there to university in islamabad like it's a really progressive um area um, and their farming practices there are, are legendary as well. So, and until the road opened up, actually, they were renowned for their health in the region um, because of their farming practices and the fact that they were isolated. 
Um, but yeah, that's the Shimsha was our last point really where we could drive. And then it was about two days from there and we took yaks and donkeys and porters and then moved everything up to a base camp um, just below 4,000 meters on, on the Yuxian Glacier. Um, and that was, that was our home for the next, next two and a half months. Damn, so you never came down, you just stayed right on the glacier? Yeah, no, we were up there for, yeah, yeah. literally didn't see anyone. So there was the, the four of us from, from the UK. Um, and then we had a team of four as well from Pakistan who were, were helping us out. They were um, porters, chefs, um, and then guides onto the glacier and that, just to kind of, you know, sh show us where to go. And yeah, so we didn't see anyone else for the entire two and a half months up there. It was proper isolation. But it was amazing, like an amazing experience there. Like we all, we all loved it. It, to be honest, it sounds like at this point you could turn back, go home, and, and talk about it as a trip. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was almost like that, to be honest. Yeah, it really was. It was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty emotional even getting to the start of that one. So getting onto the science and actually what was done on the, on the glacier, uh, they've got this problem. So I think you said the first problem was to measure if it's actually receding or growing or staying the same. And then the second one was to see if there was any water building up, right? Yeah, so, yeah. See, see whether the glacier was basically moving forward, and then yeah, like you said, like blocking it, causing a dam, and then a lake to form behind it, which is a worrying thing to, <laughs> to consider. But uh, so, what was actually done uh, whilst we were there? We, I was no part of this, but screw it. Whilst we were there, <laughs> what was actually done to 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 find the results out? Uh, so basically, with, like satellite um, data. So we we would mark points on the glacier. Um, which, which we referenced and then yeah like confirmed by satellite and then we go back and that, that took about a week so we did the entire Yuxian glacier um, it was about seven kilometers of it so we started at the top end and like worked, worked down to the snout um, it was like, took about a week and then we left it a, a period of time and then went back and did exactly the same thing again and, and took the measurements to see you know and we did that a few times whilst we were there um, but to see how much the, the you know the glacier was moving forwards basically with, with these reference points off the satellite data, um, and also you can measure like the like the depth of the glacier to some degree of accuracy as well. So perfect. And is that how they if, is that how they were trying to detect water as well by measuring the depth? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's really tricky because there's subglacial drainage, which is where it just melts and lubricates the base of the glacier and potentially causes it to surge further. Um, but that that was quite a, a tricky one, like two gauge. Um, but there were some like smaller lakes which were kind of warning signs above. Um, and once those were getting fuller, um, yeah, there was potential that it would be, yeah, it, it was draining. The, the, the glacier was draining underneath. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I'm presuming this is not primary school education level of knowledge here. This is a <laughs> specialized, you know, your stuff. Yeah, I mean, the two scientists are yeah, really, um, yeah, they were. Super they were guys yeah absolutely yeah actually like the the research we did from there actually got used in a um, cited in a nasa like article paper like oh, just wow. after the trip which, which is quite cool actually yeah but, um yeah no and and they actually went back in 2017 as well to see to, you know to, to follow up the trip so oh wow it would have been cool to go on that one let, can you let me know i'm free next time <laughs> i could just point and click the photos won't be as good but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, never mind. Um, so, so brilliant. We, we're done. We're there. We've done. We've done the science. Uh, anything else we need to know before uh, we move on to what I've called the cherry on top, which is the uh, almost the fun, like the fundraiser awareness uh, uh, element, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess just the environment there, like that was the hardest bit. Um, like compared to um, just like referencing Makalu before, like Makalu mm -hmm. is like almost like pristine 
fluted, like white snowy peak. And we had really good conditions there that year. Um, whereas the Karakoram is like stark, barren, um, but a lot harder to move, like no flat ground for the whole like two and a half months. Yet. Everything's constantly moving. Um, and we were really surprised actually, because to start with, we went out into the glacier, drilled holes down into the glacier um, and marked them with poles. And we went back a couple of days later just to check on them and they've completely vanished, like disappeared. So like the amount the, the glacier was moving day to day and like the melt on it. Um, and we weren't expecting that at all. Well, we thought for the, you know, they'd be in there for like weeks, if not months. Um, so we actually had to go and use giant boulders in the end that weren't, that weren't moving um, as much. But like the day-to-day -day change on the glacier was, was pretty shocking as well. Jeez, that's crazy. I mean, I mean, I'm yet to get up and close to the glacier, but you, you know, you hear, <laughs> you hear about it being fast moving and specifically on Everest, um, you know, uh, it, it's uh, extreme Everest without Milton. I watched that and, and he says at nighttime, you can hear the, the glacier moving next to you when yeah. you're sleeping, which is, which must be just epic. and make you feel about this big yeah yeah it is yeah constantly, completely irrelevant constantly, like rock fall all the time and yeah bits on the glacier open up and then it just disappears down into like a subglacial lake um yeah so actually like moving around on the glacier as well is, is fairly hazardous it's definitely it's uh, yeah yeah pretty much every day you're kind of contending with yeah trying not to disappear down one of the holes so, so then we move on to the summit attempts. So, talk talk us through that section of the trip. Yeah. So the first month or so was was the science, and then the second objective was to to try and climb Yuxingardan Sar, um, which a huge seven and a half thousand meter peak out there. Um, mm. yeah, so that was yeah, that was the mountaineering aim of, of the expedition. And I think I read that it was either un I, I can't remember it correctly. It was either unclimbed or the north face was unclimbed. Yeah, I think it was the North Face that's unclimbed. I think there has been a team up it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but not, not by the North Face. Which is still pretty epic to do to do new routes for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially like tagged on to the end. Well, not tagged on, it, it was an objective as well, but on the end of the trip. So we've been there for like quite a long time by that point. So everyone's fairly like tired already. It's a nice reward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, it was an incredibly beautiful mountain. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we were supposed to, or we, that was the objective. Um, and then it was supposed to be three of us climbing that, um, but I actually got injured. Uh, so we set up an advanced base camp um, and then like we were traversing up the glacier and I actually got injured ice climbing in the first couple of days for that and had a fall there um, and twisted my ankle and that was like the tendons gone and that was me out of the trip basically. Damn. So, so two of the other guys made an attempt on it. Um, but but that's where it gets interesting because actually, uh, you know, as as luck would have it it's not so lucky what what uh, i think you're about to say but it ended up being quite epic and and perhaps uh something that you wouldn't have wanted to have been a part of if you had the choice anyway uh so so yeah yeah do, do go on yeah no, absolutely so this huge glacier uh, the yuxian glacier that we've been on for for a month and a half by that point um and then like the first up to camp one really and there's no established camps there it's just kind of where you can make camp um mm. but yeah, the first kind of up the glacier is probably about an 18 hour day and like huge, huge crevasses. I mean, it looks ridiculous. Like it, it kind of makes the Kumbu Icefall on Everest look, look, look silly, really. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at the bottom at advanced base camp yeah. um, and watching the two, two guys go up. And yeah, it was, it was pretty phenomenal, especially for two people kit for the kind of the 10 days they were going to be up there. Mm. Um, 
yeah but they so, so they basically made their way up and they spent about a, a week on the mountain and doing quite well i think they got to just just below seven thousand meters so not too far um shy of the summit um but then yeah we had a big storm come in and then they got yeah got trapped up in there and that's what it all got a, a little bit tasty <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> it got a bit spicy. <laughs> I mean, so that's where something a bit uh, interesting happened. Uh, you mentioned uh, losing touch with them. Yeah, so it was like you couldn't have written the script really. So they've been going fine for the week, but they're getting quite low on gas and food and all that kind of stuff because they'd only made one trip for the two of them. So they're carrying everything they had. Um, and this huge low pressure just came in and sat over the mountain. So we had quite a big storm. Um, and even down at ABC where we were, like it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, so at seven, 7,000 meters, they were getting battered. Um, and they realized by that point, they weren't going to be able to push on for a couple of days to, to the summit. Um, so then that was when they started coming back down. Uh, but the weather was just, it was white out for, for about three or four days then. So they kind of got lost on the way back down. Uh, couldn't find a way off the mountain. Um, and then just everything compounded, really. So they kind of put in a message to base camp saying, you know, we're OK, we're OK. And then literally about 12 hours later, they were like, no, like we're in, we're in trouble now. Um, and then we had to start organizing a rescue from from down below. Um, yeah, which, which was interesting. Yeah, it had its own complications. Because <laughs> like we had um, so they were at the top of the mountain and we were at, at a base camp. But Shimshal was still two days away, really. Um, so like trying to get the logistics of that sorted and but it was Pakistani military um, who, who wanted 10,000 pounds in cash before the helicopter kind of took off. So we were trying to organize this from a base camp by a satellite phone um, and their batteries on the radio had run out as well. So we had no contact with them um, and, and their sat phone as well, like that, that had gone flat. So yeah, it was, it, it was interesting. Jeez. But, um, so we, we did we did actually manage to cancel the helicopter in the end because they managed they get they got down to abc it took them about three three days um but they did actually eventually get out through abc um and then we were at base camp and we sent uh, one of the local guides down and he did like this two-day journey and like a ridiculous it was about six hours or something and he managed to get into the village down below <laughs> and yeah the helicopter was literally about to take off there was a guy walking with like ten thousand dollars in cash onto the runway to like make this helicopter fly and, and go and rescue but yeah we managed to cancel it just in literally about 10 minutes to go so jeez that's <laughs> when you say you can't write the script you're, you're absolutely spot on <laughs> that is just insane to think yeah no yeah we were incredibly well, they were incredibly lucky as well but um yeah so they like a tiny bit of frostbite and hadn't eaten for for about three days and were cold and you know all that kind of stuff but yeah everyone made it off okay in the end so um, sure. And we still kept the ten thousand dollars, which is quite. <laughs> hard as well. It's like a game show. It's like, and you get to keep the ten thousand dollars. <laughs> so, I mean, you've lived in a glacier for two and a half months. You've, uh, you've, uh, you, know, you've thankfully didn't have to, but your 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 friends there escaped death <laughs> and became lost. You've got to keep ten thousand dollars. Uh, what's left really is just the results. Uh, I, I think I saw in the video that they presented it to a, to a board. Yeah, so when we got back, um, the Royal Geographical Society again, so they, they backed the entire project. Um, so yes, yeah, so we, we gave a talk at the Explore event there about the findings and the expedition and um, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, and then let's say the, the, the research got cited in a NASA paper 
Um, and then Sergey and his team, like another team, they went back in 2017 to follow up the data. Um, so, so when we were there, the glacier um, wasn't actually surging forward. Um, when they went back in 2017, it was because the like it had moved like a long way and it had began to to dam there. Um, but also, for, from local um, like observations and from the from the data we reported, like the glaciers in the region are actually shrinking in, in accordance to yeah pretty much all the others around the globe as well. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it is absolutely terrifying the rate that they're disappearing. I mean, today, uh, not not to not to bring a massive burden of bad news, but this is reality, and we all need to change what we're doing. Um, but uh, I think today was I saw in um, um, I flipping love science on uh, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, uh, just to, just try and avoid uh, cussing if I can. <laughs> um, um, they uh, they put an article out which said that the, the Greenland is now at a point where even if today global warming was fixed, the ice sheets will continue to recede. Yeah. Uh, which is just I mean that's saddening. Just Absolutely, like the feedback loops and tipping points of that. Because when you've got a big body of ice, it can stay cool, and the albedo reflect helps you know re reflect the sunlight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, once they start shrinking, then it could be you know un unstoppable, which is terrifying. I feel like all the governments around the world are like, well, most governments around the world are, are, are kind of like students on their last night of doing a paper. They've had all term to do a paper and, and now they're yeah. <laughs> the night before handing it in. They're like, oh, crap, crap, crap. <laughs> right. I feel like that's the approach they're taking because it's not as immediate and obvious and in your face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, you, you see mountains and glaciers and you kind of think, you know, they're eternal and they'll be there forever. Um, that's what's so shocking being on the Yuxian Glacier and you know we were marking it and then going back the next day and it, like that completely disappeared like melted and it was it was downstream um, like yeah. it's and we were there in summer so um, obviously you, you know we've got the sunlight to contend with and all that kind of stuff but uh, still happening yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely no it's scary yeah yeah National Geographic and Rolex have just launched a project actually and they were investigating like similar things. Because um, they're a huge like resource for water as well, so you've got two billion people um, around the world who rely on the high mountains and like the glacial like regions. Yeah, sure. so it's a huge. Yeah, yeah we're screwed, man. <laughs> but that's that's a that's a different set of podcasts. I think <laughs> not not even a single one. Um, so I mean, to conclude, basically, in short, they uh, there wasn't when you went um, a a dam forming. And and it was actually receding. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is yeah, which is comforting, <laughs> comforting on the glacial lake element. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in twenty seventeen, it was actually it, one of, was actually forming, and that was because well, they think because of the yeah the subglacial drainage and lubricating the base of the glacier and yeah, yeah moving moving forward at a rapid rate. Well, it would be interesting to see what happened with that. I, I, or what happened ha will happen with that. I'm not I'm not completely clued up on it, but. Yeah. So, anything else we need to know before we dive into some some wrap up questions? Um, no, no, I think that's 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 covered it. I mean, it's it's an epic, <laughs> what an epic expedition. Like, just so many elements ticked off. You know, science for the good of the world, escaping <laughs> death. Yeah, that's <laughs> with yeah, twisted angles. Interesting, <laughs> and and that kind of like set up as well. Like, it's really like an inspiration to me as a photographer to be able to go and do something. Like valuable, we are actually gathering, you know, useful scientific data, and then mm -hmm. to be able to come back and try and try and convey that story. Um, so that was quite a big inspiration that trip for, you know, for the following years as well, really. Yeah, absolutely. So we we've spoken 
a, a lot about how uh, Makalu was similar and differed in different aspects to um, most mostly differed to the actual glacier. Is there any, are there any other comparisons you would make between the two? I mean, as you're starting to get up on the mountain, does anything become quite similar? Um, not really. They were quite different, like yeah, mm. very different. Um, yeah. And the, the season's very different as well. So in the Himalaya, it's generally spring or autumn you're there, so the temperatures are quite a lot colder. Um, mm. The season in the Karakoram, which I, um, I don't quite know the reason for, I think it's probably to do with the monsoon rains, but then you get those in the fall as well. Mm. Um, but the temperature was just hot, like it was walking into a desert, really. Um, yeah, and it and we were there till basically the end of September, and then the snow started coming, and the water started freezing, um, and that was quite interesting actually at base camp. Like when when we got there, the villages, and it kind of shows their connection like with the place and with nature. And they were like, yeah, the glaciers have been disappearing, you know, way way up there for you know for years now. Um, yeah. But we got there, and they were like, on the like, the thing it was the fifteenth of September. They were like that that river that you're using for water will stop flowing. It will be frozen from above, and it was literally to the day. Um, <laughs> It stopped flowing on the 15th and we were kind of we were out of water for a little bit as well so we happened to melt melt the ice and snow then damn <laughs> yeah, so that, the, the glaciers retreating because of you <laughs> just drinking it all down <laughs> but yeah much more much harder actually in the caracom i think yeah, a lot of rock fall a lot of you know avalanche slides just quite quite warm loose um yeah like a lot harder so you're you're a photographer mountaineer uh so from your perspective, if you could go back and do it again, would there be anything that you would do differently? Um, not fall ice climbing. That would definitely be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, although maybe I had a lucky escape, but no, I'd, I'd still like to have been involved in that part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was pretty gutted not to have like got up onto the mountain a bit further yeah. there. And um, it's, a, it's a hard L to take, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's when you're kind of, you know, you're sat at base camp as well, really, for like two weeks, which is, yeah great for filling in the diary and like making some photographs and stuff but you kind of want to be out there oh for sure yeah absolutely so so don't don't fall <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah don't, don't fall climb on better ice <laughs> and then last question just to round off the the session here which is if you could pick one moment to relive from your two and a half months spent on that glacier um, what would it be in the tent with our pakistani friends there actually like just uh, downtime absolutely absolutely because we've been kind of warned off of pakistan and i had military contacts at the time as well i, I, was, I was with the military so they were like it's not a good place to be going for you um and then the, the press were just like hounding you know the british press and the western press really like hounding pakistan um and i'm not saying there's not 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 problems and things you need to be aware of um but we had an exceptional guide out there and the people we met were just absolutely phenomenal like across the whole country um, and then to spend two and a half months like living on a glacier um, with and, and the team we were with from the north of Pakistan near Skardu and around there and a small mountain village up there and their culture is just so different from the UK. Um, but then you really realize that like the common shared humanity between you is, is exactly the same. Like you still end up talking about exactly the same things um, and these kind of like insignificant differences um, like disappear. Um, yeah, so I think that like that shared experience of like humanity with, with other people um, that you wouldn't normally meet in your everyday life. So, yeah, it would be that. That's fantastic. That, and I think that's the first time I've received an answer uh, solely based on that comradeship. I, I've had people say the people before, 
but they've never gone to such depth and detail as, as you just did. So that was, that was refreshing to hear as well. So Yeah, I mean, it really does. It kind of, it shows how biased, I think, our own media and we are as well before, you know. That's Fear cells. Absolutely. Right. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, and the importance of traveling and going and meeting people and seeing these things for yourself um, and like the perceptions of the world you get from that afterwards. Yeah. And just to add a little bit on the end of that as well, uh, just in... With the point of reminding reminding people listening just to have an open mind, um, the, the quote I follow is, have an open mind, but not so open your brain falls out. <laughs> but um, but yeah. as you can see from the coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning especially, so much fear going out and, and chasing numbers, this many people affected, this many countries have it. And yeah, just take things seriously, but just relax too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's broader perspectives on, on your own life and country and um, yeah, like, yeah, that, 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 that shared humanity really. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's the beautiful thing about traveling to the places that are slightly harder and off the beaten track as well is like the experience is, is more rewarding if anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming to the podcast once again. Um, you think your website is still under construction at the moment, but I will link that in the show notes because this will be listened to um, hopefully indefinitely. So um, I'll, I'll still put it in there as well. But, um, but no, thank you so much for coming on the, the show and chatting to us about the Karakorman and all, mate. No, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. I really, really hope you enjoyed that episode. I certainly did. It's fascinating to find out more details behind such an interesting and exciting expedition in my opinion. If you enjoyed it too then please do subscribe, follow, share it with a friend. You can join in with the community at BTM Travel Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. You can email in too if you've got any questions, just want to say something. If you want to come on the show you can pitch me an idea btmtravelpod at gmail.com but otherwise I hope you have a brilliant day and I'll see you in the next one.